0: Good morning. Well, last week we looked at the introduction uh, to the book of Ruth. We introduced the book and went through chapter one. We said that the book of Ruth is a love story. It's a narrative about God's providence, his plan. It's a book about God's redeeming love, as you saw there in that video, Jesus Christ christ is behind every verse i hope you saw that this week that's why i showed it again because i talked to some people and they said "Oh, i didn't see that so i wanted you to see that and just as it is on that video so it is in every page of ruth every word jesus christ is behind everything it's not just a great story and there's a reason why it's in your bible And so I want us to see that as we study this great book. And I hope that you've had time this week to to look at it, to read it through, and uh, hopefully uh, study some of it. We looked at the fact that God was bringing about a famine in Israel due to their disobedience. But rather than responding in repentance and surrender, Elimelech and his family moved to Moab. Which, in essence symbolize their moving away from the Lord and his provision. We talked about the fact that Moab is a picture of sin and that sin always brings about death. Early in chapter one, uh, we see that Elimelech and his sons, all three die in Moab. And following their deaths, we get a, a glimpse into how each wife copes with their grief. First and foremost, we focused on. Naomi's grief. And we talked about the fact that she had a right theology. In some respects. She had right thinking about head knowledge about God and suffering, but it didn't provide comfort. We talked about the fact that some are softened to the gospel through suffering and others are hardened. Orpah's initial response was to go with Naomi at that at that moment in time, she had all the outward signs of being sincere in her commitment. But it, in essence, it wasn't borne out through long suffering, through long term commitment. Because what did she do? She initially went back. She defected. She went to her own gods. Ruth, however, is the picture of a true believer. How do we know? Because even though Orpa did all the outward stuff, she She cried. She kissed Naomi. She wept. She didn't cling to her as Ruth did. Ruth clung to Naomi and that's when she made her famous declaration in verses 16 and 17 of chapter 1. Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God, my God, where you die, I will die and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. So what we see in chapter one through that is that true gospel conversion is lasting. True gospel conversion perseveres. Naomi returned home after realizing the death and destruction that Moab brings at first. We saw her despair. We saw her hopeless outlook. She couldn't see anything but despair. She couldn't yet see what God was going to do in her situation. It was very dark in her world at that moment. But she still ultimately went to Bethlehem. She and Ruth returned home. They arrived in Bethlehem at the barley harvest. And we saw the connection in Deuteronomy 24. With an alien's provision being met, being allowed into the covenant, and its connection with the barley harvest. And she's returning with Naomi at the time of the barley harvest. And this was a great time of celebration. A great time of reaping. And the reference to reaping in the scripture is very important. And it's characterized by joy. And it's different than any other point in the agricultural season. All the sowing had been done. All the watering had been done. All the labor and toil, the caring and nurture for the harvest had all been done. It's time to reap. This is a great time. It's a time of joy, as you'll see. A time to see the reward for all of the labor and toil in the field. It's also a place where the sojourner can find provision for their need. And Ruth comes into Bethlehem at exactly this time. Is that a coincidence? I don't think so. Now here in verse 1 of chapter 2, we get a brief look into God's plan for the future of Naomi and Ruth. Now they don't see it yet, but God is showing us at this point. Verse 1 of chapter 2. We see the dark clouds that have hovered above already moving out of the way. This is what it says. Now, Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Hey, that's encouraging. Because already from our point of view, the author lets us in on something. Very rare do we get to have a, you know, kind of a bird's eye view of what God is doing in someone's life to look into the secret things of God. But here we get to see it. They don't see it yet, but we we get to see it. That's beautiful. And already we, we see, just like rays of sunshine breaking through the clouds, we get to see some hope here. This first verse is all about hope. And it's revealing hope in three specific areas. Today, our message is entitled, Hope Revealed. And just in this first verse and, and a couple of verses after it, you see hope revealed in three specific ways. First, hope is revealed through the issue of the kinsman redeemer. Second, hope is revealed through the issue of Boaz' wealth. And third, hope is revealed through the issue of Boaz' character. Now, the historical account of Ruth deals with several cultural issues that we have to deal with so that we can understand it. And one that we'll deal with right now is that of, of leverate marriage. Leverate marriage. This is where a close relative of the dead husband Marries the widow of a kinsman. And we don't understand anything about this. So it's really important to, to, to figure out where they're coming from in the Old Testament in regards to this custom. But the point was to help to ensure that the family name would carry on. And it's taught in Deuteronomy 25 verses 5 through 10. Let's turn there and look. Deuteronomy 25 verses 5 through 10. We'll look at two passages that will help us to have some sort of grid for what this is. levirate marriage. Because in our culture, this is kind of freaky. Deuteronomy 25, verses 5 through 10. It says this. When brothers live together and one of them dies and has no son... The wife of the deceased shall not be married outside the family to a strange man. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her to himself as wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. It shall be that the firstborn whom she bears shall assume the name of his dead brother, so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. But if the man does not desire to take his brother's wife, then his brother's wife shall go up to the gate to the elders and say... My husband's brother refuses to establish a name for his brother in Israel. He is not willing to perform the duty of a husband's brother to me. Then the elders of his city shall summon him and speak to him. And if he persists and says, I do not desire to take her, then his brother's wife shall come to him in the sight of the elders and pull his sandal off his foot and spit in his face. And she shall declare, thus it is done to the man who does not build up his brother's house in Israel. His name shall be called the house of him whose sandal is removed. Now, I bet you've never been called that on the playground. The house of him whose sandal is removed. Now look at Genesis thirty eight verses seven through ten. Genesis thirty eight, seven through ten. And I bet you've never noticed these verses in this context. It says, starting in seven, but er, Judah's firstborn was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord took his life. Then Judah said to Onan, go into your brother's wife and perform your duty as a brother in law to her and raise up offspring for your brother. Onan knew that the offspring would not be his. So when he went into his brother's wife, he wasted his seed on the ground in order not to give offspring to his brother. But what he did was displeasing in the sight of the Lord. So he took his life also. So back to verse 2, 1 of Ruth. Hope is revealed here. Because verse 1 makes it clear that Boaz is a kinsman. And the issue of the kinsman redeemer, as we just read from those passages, it's evidently a very serious issue. Serious enough for defectors to be spit on. Serious enough for people to endure ridicule and scorn for not being responsible. And serious enough, as we saw in Genesis 38, for God to kill a man for not being willing to take on the relative's widow. So it's evidently a very serious issue. And so there's hope on the horizon for Naomi and Ruth because of that. But, unlike Leverate marriage, Boaz wasn't Elimelech's. Brother, And Ruth was not Elimelech's widow. So how would this play into the narrative? So we pick up again in verse 2 through 4. Verse 2 says, And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after one in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. So Ruth asked Naomi if she can go glean in the field. And Naomi approves. And it says in the passage that she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz. I love that, don't you? She happened to come to the portion of the field that belonged to Boaz. What amazing luck. What a coincidence. So what can we say about this coincidence? Well, we can say that it's evidently put here to show the supernatural, right? To show God's hand in it all. What does Proverbs 19.21 say? It says this. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. And this is one of the main points in the book of Ruth. One of the key themes is that God is sovereign, directing the feet and the hearts of his children. It's just beautiful, and it's written all over the pages of the book of Ruth. I love it. He directed Ruth to the field of Boaz. Think about what that means. He directed Ruth to the field of Boaz. It wasn't a mere coincidence. Did she choose to go there? Sure. Did she do it apart from God's prompting? Absolutely not. She did as uh, Proverbs 16:9 says. In his heart, a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. So Ruth didn't just happen to come to the field of Boaz the way the world would mean it. She came by the sovereign hand of God. She came to the field of the kinsman redeemer through God's own leading. All right. Second of all, we said first that hope was, was revealed to the issue of the kinsman redeemer that so much hope there. But second of all, the author is showing us that Boaz is a wealthy man. Completely able to meet the needs of Naomi and Ruth. He had the resources to help. And I don't care how you look at it. This is an encouraging thing because Naomi and Ruth were certainly in need. Boaz is not lacking in resources. Listen to what David says in Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Paul says in Philippians four nineteen, my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. So it's the character of God to meet the needs of his children. Have you ever felt forgotten in this way? Neglected? That maybe God has forgotten about you. That maybe God has forgotten about your needs. God is a God who loves to meet the need of his children. Does he always give you everything that you want? He gives you what you need. It's encouraging. Hope is revealed through the issue of the kinsman redeemer. Hope is revealed through the issue of Boaz wealth. Thirdly, hope is revealed through the issue of Boaz's character. As best I could tell, the name for Boaz means in him is strength. But others say, other commentators say that it could mean that Boaz's name means a man of valor. But he lives up to his name. And I love that about Boaz. He's a man of great character. And in this short little book, the author spends, something, spends time on something as minute as, Is how Boaz greets his workers in the field. Look at this starting in verse 4. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, May the Lord be with you. And they said to him, May the Lord bless you. His greeting or blessing as he approaches helps us to see what kind of character he has. You know, and this doesn't appear to be some one-time fake thing for Boaz. This seems to be genuinely who he is. He's a man of great character. And this is going to be really encouraging as we see this story unfold. And notice how they bless him in return. His leadership, Boaz's leadership, has had an effect on the people that he's around. He's a leader that sets the temperature for his employees because they respond in kind. It doesn't appear to be some fake thing. Boaz is a man of character. But he doesn't stop there by showing kindness to his employees, he then proceeds to show concern for Ruth. He's seen here as a kind and sacrificial man, a man that's concerned about the needs of other people. He says to his servants in in verse six, the servant in charge of the reapers replied, he asked whose young woman is this in verse five and in verse six, His servants answer, she's the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. And she said, please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. Thus she came and has remained from the morning until now. She's been sitting in the house for a little while. Then Boaz said to Ruth, listen carefully, my daughter, don't go glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go from this one, but stay here with my maids. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Indeed, I've commanded the servants not to touch you. When you're thirsty, go to the water jars and drink what the servants draw. This is beautiful because you see here that Boaz is meeting Ruth's needs. He told her to pick food. He told her to drink water. He's protecting her from other people that may harm her in other fields. He even told his servants not to touch her. I mean, it was a dangerous time. Not a time that a lady should be on her own in another field where she's not known. And she doesn't know yet who this is, that he's a kinsman redeemer. But God does. And he has sovereignly placed her in his field at this moment. How beautiful. How thankful we should be that... He doesn't leave us alone to find the field of Boaz on our own. He providentially places us there. Listen to what Jesus says in John 17 in talking about uh, this very thing. It's in his high priestly prayer in John 17. Listen to what he says to the father. Jesus prays, father, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. Did you catch that? Father, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Thank God that he doesn't leave us alone to find Christ. But he freely gives us to him. Amen. And notice Ruth's response. Does it make her haughty? Look at verse 10. She's someone because she has experienced the mercy and grace of God. Look how she responds. Not in haughtiness. Look what she does in verse 10. She fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? So she doesn't have an entitlement attitude like she deserves everything. She's not claiming her rights. She's humble. Just in awe of his mercy. She realizes That all of this is undeserved. She says, I'm a foreigner. I'm an alien. Why are you treating me like this? Do you remember? there's two places in the New Testament. One where Paul talks about the unbelief. Of Israel. And then at another, the author of Hebrews talks about the unbelief of Israel. Do you remember what the primary thing was to show their unbelief? Do you remember the character trait that showed their unbelief? It was their complaining. And here, Ruth is revealing a thankful, humble, Heart. What's the opposite of thankfulness? Complaining and grumbling. Be a thankful people. Be a thankful person because you remember what happened. God wiped that people out, didn't He? And the scriptures say at each time that they died. In their unbelief. Be a thankful people. A right understanding of grace, a right understanding of Providence, a right understanding of His mercy should never make you a haughty person. You should exude thankfulness and appreciation. And that won't just play out in your private prayer time, but that's going to play out in your character. In your humbleness, and your humility, in your response, not only to God, but as Aaron said, to the people around you. To his body, the bride, the church. Be a thankful people. And then notice Boaz reply to her. Verse 11 says that Boaz replied to her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has fully been reported to me. And how you left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and came to a people that you did not previously know. May the Lord reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Now, this is where everything funnels through right here. Did you see it on the screen as you came in for the welcome? This is it right here, because this is the gospel. This is the most important passage in chapter two. It shows it shows us a picture of the gospel like no other verse. Ruth, an alien and stranger to the covenant. Is coming to take refuge in the Lord God, the God of Israel. Now, I wonder if some of you were uh, confused when you read it. Because you were asking this question. You thought to yourself. Uh oh. What's the basis of Ruth's acceptance here? Did you think that when you read it? More specifically is Ruth accepted on the basis of her works? Even more specifically. Was Ruth accepted because of what she did for Naomi? Can you see as you read that how you might come to that? But I don't think that's the picture here. I don't think that's the picture that the author wants us to see. In fact, I think it's just the opposite. I think the picture here is that of a child who has taken refuge. A baby eagle who has hidden herself under her mother's wings. This is a picture of the gospel. This is the kind of care that God gives his children. Remember, this was the declaration when Jesus was so angry with Israel I mean, and you can hear the passion in his voice in Matthew. What was it? Twenty three. I can just hear him shouting at the top of his voice. And. What was the point of his anger? It was this right here. Listen. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to it. Listen to this how often would i've gathered your children together as hen as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you wouldn't you wouldn't do it you wouldn't come to me so that i could protect you you wouldn't come to me so that i could care for you you wouldn't come to me so that i could let you rest and abide under my wing And I wonder how many here today are working out your own salvation. I don't think that Ruth earned favor with Boaz because of how she has treated Naomi. I think it's exactly the opposite. She was able to care for Naomi because she was under God's wing. Because she was abiding in Christ. I think her works are a result of her worship. And I don't mean for that to sound trite. But I think that her works are a result of taking refuge in God. Isn't that what the scriptures teach? That's the picture that the author is displaying here. Ruth has hidden herself under the wing of God. As a baby eagle would. And because of that she was able to move away from Moab. She was able to leave her parents behind. And sacrificially give her life for the good of someone else. Listen to what Psalm 51 says. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. For in Thee my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of Your wings I will take refuge. This is the message of the Bible. That's the message of the Bible. That's abiding in Christ. John Piper says it this way. I love this. God is not an employer looking for employees. He is an eagle looking for people who will take refuge under his wings. He's looking for people who will leave father and mother and homeland or anything else that may hold us back from a life of love under the wings of Christ. And this leads to a humbling response on the part of this recipient. Ruth's reply I have found favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and indeed have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I'm not like one of your maidservants. Then verse 14. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here that you may eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. I love where this verse falls. Right after the last section, which just exudes the gospel, we see Ruth communing with Boaz. Boaz. I mean, right here in the book of Ruth, it's like we're seeing the Last Supper. We're seeing Boaz serve Ruth and Ruth commune with Boaz. What a great picture of our communion with Christ. So she sat beside the reapers and he served her roasted grain. And she ate and was satisfied and even had some left. Verse 15 says, When she rose to glean, Boaz commanded his servants, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do do not insult her. Also, you shall purposely pull out for her some grain from the bundles, and leave it that she may glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. She took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also took it out and gave Naomi what she had left after she was satisfied. Her mother-in-law then said to her, Where did you glean today, and where did you work? May he who took notice of you be blessed. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The name of the man with whom I work today is Boaz. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed of the Lord who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and to the dead. Again, Naomi said to her, the man is our relative. He's one of our closest relatives. So this is the first time that we actually see God's plan unveil before them. Naomi's outlook has suddenly changed. She's suddenly broken out in praise what was darkness and despair earlier up until now really has already turned to delight and it's kind of convicting when you think about it cuz it's amazing how our outward circumstances tend to dictate our response our level of trust before the lord until she could see god working she wouldn't believe we finish with the final few verses Starting in verse 21. And I just, I just want to say how thankful I am for the wisdom of the elders in this church. Of our elders. Naomi's wisdom is a help to Ruth here. In verse 21 it says, Then Ruth the Moabite said, Furthermore he said to me, Catch this now, You should stay close to my servants until they have finished all my harvest. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it's good, my daughter, that you go out with his maids so that others do not fall upon you in another field. So she stayed close by the maids of Boaz in order to glean until the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Now, did you notice what Ruth did in verse 21? Did you catch it? Look carefully. She twisted the words of Boaz. Look back at verse eight. I mean, it's subtle, but it's there. Notice how she tells Naomi that Boaz said that she should stay with his servants in the field. But is that what Boaz said? He said the opposite, actually. In verse 8, he said that she should stay with the maids. The servants were the men in the field, and Boaz told them not to touch her. So Naomi is wise enough here to see the error in what Ruth said. And in verse twenty two gives a gentle correction. It's beautiful. So what was Ruth's motivation here? I don't think we need to be too hard on her because it's difficult to wait on God at times like this. It would be easy for a young, beautiful woman like Ruth to get mixed up with the wrong guy. Maybe she didn't understand Boaz's role in redemption. Don't forget, she's a recent convert. She was recently a Moabitus. Maybe she didn't understand Boaz's role in redemption yet, but Naomi did, and she saw all of this as being from God. And she, she could clearly see Ruth's potential error in running after the wrong man in the field. So she gently urges her in verse 22, I believe it is, to stay with the maids. And Ruth is submissive. Ruth is teachable, And she heeds the counsel of Naomi. Verse 23 says that she stayed close by the maids of Boaz. And as we see in chapters to come, her obedience is going to pay off. It's going to pay off. Elders, we may not act like it, but we need your counsel. I'm so thankful. That we have elders in our midst. And I pray that you will take that responsibility seriously, not flippantly. How many times have you, have you been sorry that you didn't counsel? Youngers, how many times have you been sorry that you didn't heed the counsel of your elders when it was given? So it's here in this last section that the narrative takes a dramatic turn. Naomi and Ruth now know that they have a kinsman redeemer. So how will they proceed? We'll see that next week in chapter three. The question they have is, will Boaz redeem them? Well, where do you find yourself today? I'm sure there are those of you who are at home in Moab. I'm sure there are those of you who are doing what we said earlier, working out your own salvation without realizing the verse that comes after that in Philippians, which says that it's God who works that in you. And there may be those here who are comforted comforted by abiding in Christ under His wing. Let's go ahead and have the music team come up. We're going to close with a song. Blessed Assurance.